This episode of At The Table is sponsored by Restoration Games. Recently, they just released their brand new unmatched pack, Little Red Riding Hood versus Beowulf. I've had a chance to play this set and it offers a very unique gameplay style that's different from all other previous released sets. That's what's so great about this system is that first we got just a simple system that introduces you to the game and for every release since then they've been very specific to the characters that they're made for. And in case you missed it, it was announced that Restoration Games along with Mondo is going to be releasing Marvel themed unmatched sets later this year including Redemption Row featuring Luke Cage, Ghost Rider and Moon Knight, Hell's Kitchen featuring Daredevil, Elektra and Bullseye, For King and Country featuring Black Widow, Black Panther and Winter Soldier and Teen Spirit featuring Miss Marvel, Cloak and Dagger, and Squirrel Girl. Wait, Squirrel? Okay, we gotta get that one. To find out more and keep up with all their latest releases, go check out restorationgames.com. Hey y'all, welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. On this episode of At the Table, the guys chat with the Vice President of Sales and Marketing of Renegade Games, Sarah Erickson. We'll hear about her love of bugs, bacteria, board games, and bananas. Sounds like she'll fit right in with this show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is a special At the Table episode, episode 221. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. Tony, I am excited to have one of our most favorite fun people in the industry. We've known her. I had to go back and look it up. I think the first time I talked to Sarah was about six years ago, according to Gmail. I need to go see what the topic was, but I'm sure I was bugging her about getting a game or something like that, because I, I tend to do that with her. But Tonight, we're excited to have the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Renegade Game Studios, Sarah Erickson. Yay! Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. It's exciting. I get to see both of you, sort of. (laughs) And we're sorry about that, Sarah. You could have gone a whole 2021 without really needing to see this visit job (laughs) sheer. She went all to 2020 without seeing us, so that was pretty good. We had to break the streak at some point in time. Let's see. Sarah was on the last time when we were promoting a Renegade game, I believe it was. There was a Kickstarter about some Earth blowing up or something. Oh, oh, oh. That, the Worms. Yeah, um, Terrible worms. Low. That's it. That's terrible a fun game. Terrible I mean, who doesn't want to run around in the desert blowing up worms? That's just a classic plan. <laughs> And, and there's a new movie one. coming out where you're where you got worms that you're blowing up again, or maybe I don't know some Dune something about Dune. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever see Dune? I have seen Dune. That's one of the few movies I have seen. <laughs> there aren't very many, but I was watching The Mandalorian last night, and there was a big sandworm in that one too. That was pretty exciting. You must have watched the first episode of the second season. Yeah. So I. Just got to the first episode of the second season because I was busy watching Star Trek Discovery, which is slightly higher on my list. I am a Star Trek fan, longtime generation lover right here. Um, So anyway, I had to watch that first. So I'm done with that one now. So I started second season of Mandalorian. It was very good. I'll let you and Tony talk then. We don't need to talk about there. there. There's a mutual feeling. There's the, there's the love, the respect for the Star Trek here. Now, I will say this. I, I'm i still on season one, episode one of The Mandalorian. So I understand. <laughs> I mean, I haven't made it that far yet. But That's so fair. Discovery. Shh. Yeah, sh- Discovery. Sh- 
should I should I watch it? Because I'm I'm the next generation, and then Voyager. Um, I never was able to get into Enterprise because I could never get past <laughs> Scott Bakula and the Quantum Leap. I just couldn't do it. That's fair. <laughs> I have watched all of them. I enjoy all of them. I I just think it's great. But I do think Discovery does some new things. It's been really interesting. I think this uh, second season has been super fun. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it feels like Star Trek, and that's what I really want. But also, Lower Decks, if you haven't watched that, I highly recommend it as well. It was definitely not what I expected, which was super fun. See, Sarah gives me good shows to watch. In our last episode, <laughs> you just never gave me, you just couldn't, you just didn't provide. Is Lower Decks the animated show? Yeah, yeah. It is making fun of a lot of things in Star Trek, so if you're a fan from the very beginning, you'll definitely appreciate it. But it's weird because it's made of, as an official Star Trek show, and you normally don't see that. Like, from a licensing perspective, which, I mean, I've done a lot of work with licenses in my career, I find it really interesting that they were able to let go and make fun of themselves a little bit. And for me, I really appreciate that. And as a fan, I thought it was awesome. Unfortunately, we could spend another 50 minutes talking about our favorite Star Trek episodes and just completely freeze Marty out, but I don't want to do that to him. All right? so, <laughs> That's fair. So, so I am going, there is a, um, another game company did come out with their new Star Trek one or two player game. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I've been looking at trying to find myself a um, Star Trek shirt because Marty said something like, I need to get on the Twitch and do some twitching or something. I don't know. <laughs> Do some twitching. Yeah, one of these days you'll make it all the way to TikTok, and that'll be very exciting. No, no, (laughs) one small step at a time, right? (laughs) Absolutely not. Never. Not going to happen here. (laughs) That's a young man's game. mm -mm. All right, keep it slow. It's all good. So, Sarah, the reason why we've had you on, and and we've talked about this before in some previous episodes of At the Table, but we like to have people that are on the show that wear a lot of different hats in the industry. We've had designers on over and over talking about their games, but there's a lot of other roles and jobs that go into bringing a board game uh, out to the masses. Now, you've had many hats that you've worn over the year, and before we get to all that, I want to go back. I want to go back to little Sarah. (laughs) When Sarah was in school, I want to hear, what did little Sarah get into? When did she get into games and board games? Did you want to go to college? When you went to college, what did you study? You know, what was that? You know, when you're young, it's like, I want to be this when I grow up. Oh, it was easy from, I would say, and I I don't think I'm exaggerating. Pretty sure when I was either three or four, I learned the word entomology And that was it for me. I was so excited about being an entomologist. I know lots of really useless facts about insects that I still love. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I have never lost my love for science in general, but entomology has a very special place in my heart. So if you want to talk about insects all day long, I am right there with you. So... Yes, I I love entomology. I spent a lot of time digging around in the dirt as a kid. I prayed mantises as, as pets, all of that. But I also am very thankful that my family loved playing games. I come from a pretty big family. There were six of us in the household while I was growing up. 
extra family that was already off and doing other things. So I come from a big family, and one of the things we did do a lot of, together in the evenings was play games. So we played tons of, I mean, this is in the 80s, so Balderdash. Uh, we played, of course, Monopoly and those types of things, Trivial Pursuit. We played tons of Filler Bust, if anybody has heard of that game. It's a wonderful push-your-luck game with dice. Very silly. Um, played lots of that. Uh, but Bridge, Hearts... All sorts of just card games, anything that we could get our hands on that we could do with cards. We played games all the time. And so growing up, that was just part of our house. And I even had classes during school where we got to build our own board games. And I loved that. I had all sorts of games that people in my family had designed that never went anywhere except for a big game closet that we had. But all that kind of stuff just really gave me a love for games. And even in high school... I was the nerdy kid who would have risk parties at my house <laughs> in between Ooh. playing ultimate Frisbee. All of us would then in the evenings come back to my house and play risk or whatever else. So I, that's just always been part of my life. But yes, I did. I did love entomology, went to college. Um, and when I got to college, I studied biotech because the college I went to, all of the entomology classes were agriculturally based instead of what I was really excited about, which was more behavioral science with entomology. So like social insects, bees, ants, that type of thing was what I was really curious about. There wasn't a program for me there. So I went into biotech, which is studying a lot of not insects, but bugs. I did a lot with uh, pathology, um, virology, how to genetically engineer things. That was the program I was in. So also still- now Before, before oh. you move on- Yep, yep. You wanted to be a bug whisperer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was just fascinated with the idea that there are these insects that have really complicated societal structures. And I have always just thought that was fascinating and how much these insects can get done, how much they can terraform the earth- they can create these complicated languages. They're just amazing to me. I just can't get over that. Like even today, I just think that's incredible. And I think that there's a lot of reason to care about insects on the planet and studying them and biodiversity is really important. And insects are sort of the base of that pyramid when you think about biodiversity. So that's why I've always just been really fascinated by them. Without insects, the place would stink. Well, there's a lot of problems. Yeah, they do eat a lot of gross things on the ground that we don't want around. And thank you. <laughs> and thank you very much, Bugs. We, we appreciate what you're doing there. Now, I mean, I'll admit fire ants aren't my favorite. And I don't know if they have those out in Montana. <laughs> we do not have fire ants here, but I do have a very strong memory of going out into my aunt's backyard in West Virginia and convincing my little sister to help me find food for my pet praying mantis that I had hanging out with me at the time. And she found fire ants. (laughs) And I got in a lot of trouble for convincing my little sister to collect fire ants for my pet mantis. But you know, these things happen. There's not much to collect a fire ant. Put your finger down on the mound and you will have a hundred of them. Yep. She figured that out pretty quickly. (laughs) So what I heard, Marty, in that uh, young Sarah story was that she was also a mad scientist. Bioengineering, biotaching, she's trying to figure out how to genetically enhance. So, yeah, I'm seeing these 100-foot bugs approaching or something like that. <laughs> what, what, what's up with that? I mean, if you want something to be 
Fluorescent green, for example. I can help you out with that. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, that was one of the projects I did. It was great. So is it possible to get me a radioactive spider? Radioactive is a little, that's a little different, but um, sure, we can work on that. My dad was actually the chief scientist at a nuclear engineering plant, so we have some connections there. We can work on that. <laughs> Well, well, Marty and I worked in a nuclear power plant. Really? You can see, we're yeah, we're 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> this explains a lot. <laughs> it does. There's a third eye back here. I just have to cover, comb my hair over it. So you uh, got you went to college. You got out. Did you do something? Did you get a job in that that field? Well, wait a minute. Where did you go? Didn't. Did you go to Montana uh, University, Montana State University? Is I did. Right? Yep, right here in Bozeman. So yeah, I grew up in Idaho Falls, where yep, my dad was the chief scientist at a nuclear research facility, and then my brother came to school here in Bozeman, which is just three and a half hours north of where I grew up, and I fell in love with the place, thought it was amazing, and so I came to school here as well. We actually do a little research here, so I was looking this kind of stuff up. It is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I will say that. It's amazing. I have no complaints. Yeah, it, there's a beautiful sunset on the mountains outside my window right now. It's amazing. <laughs> How much snow is on the ground? Not enough. It has been a weird snow year. Uh, so where I live, I'm looking at the Bridger Mountain Range, and on the other side of that is a ski hill that has not gotten as much snow as they would like, but it gets more snow on that side of the range than on this side. Um, and so, yeah, we don't have snow totally covering the ground yet, but February is our big snow month, so we're hopeful. So you uh, you got out of college, then did you get a occupation in that field? I did. So I went straight into working for a lab that researched infectious diseases that affect lungs. So imagine that. And I actually quickly started working on a project for Coxiella brunetti, which is a bacteria that you would find in the soil. But at the time, this was quite recently after the anthrax attacks. So there was a lot of concern about potential for terrorism using biological agents. And so we were working on a grant to uh, just learn more about Coxiella because it's one of those diseases that if you were trying to get a lot of people sick really fast, it would be a good one to do that with. So we didn't know about COVID at the time or else maybe we would have been researching that because it's, it's definitely that same category. Um, but what was cool about it was that we actually got this grant money and set up a whole new facility to work on this new disease in this building. And that building was a BSL-3+. And what that means is that there's these different categories of diseases and BSL-1 is like your regular stuff you work on in the lab. Nobody's too worried about it. It's not going to kill anybody, but it's important to be a little careful. So there's procedures for that. BSL-2 is a little bit scarier. BSL-3 is stuff that you could potentially die from, but it's probably not the end of the world if you get sick, but you want to be careful. BSL-3 plus is specifically for airborne diseases because there's a lot of ventilation considerations when you're setting up a building for uh, airborne, potentially dangerous diseases. So that's what we set up our building for. And then there's BSL-4, which I also did training for at the CDC. BSL-4 is things that we know will kill you or emerging diseases that we don't know what they do yet. 
So I've been trained in BSL-4, but I worked for a long time in a BSL-3 facility. So wearing a full spacesuit, ventilators, battery packs, um, all sorts of procedures. I think it took me 25 different steps to get out of the building, including showering out every single time. And you do not want to get a bloody nose while you're working in there. That's that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> it's no good. <laughs> so that was what I did for a while. So for those not seeing this, because this is a pocket, Marty and I both have horrific views <laughs> on our face. Right? So, I mean, you look terrifying. <laughs> We are mesmerized right here because screw this gaming stuff. Come on. We've got ants. We got deadly diseases, Marty. Let's just keep this is three hours. This this is Sarah, you're one extremely smart person to understand. So you're a full blown scientist. Did you have a white coat? Oh, yeah. Of course I had a lab coat. (laughs) Well, okay. So when I was working in the BSL 3, we had our spacesuits. I was wearing scrubs. Um, like you get completely, literally completely naked, no jewelry or anything. I don't even have a wedding ring because I wouldn't have been able to keep track of it because I'd have to take it off every day. So um, you get completely naked, you put on your set of scrubs, and then you put on all of your Tyvek suit. So white zip-up Tyvek suit, helmet with an air filter, have a filter on top of that. It's actually a bike helmet. They were kind of funky. And then it pulled air through that was filtered right on your face. And then double gloves, booties. We wore um, Crocs because those were the best thing for working in a lab. But then in the regular lab while we were working on stuff outside of the BSL-3, we were wearing our lab coats. So, Marty, we worked in, I mean, you worked in the hot zone more than I did. For the nuclear plant. Yeah, in the nuclear plant. Mm -hmm. We were... You had to go through your training. You had to you had to take off in a certain order. You had to step in a certain process. So I can only imagine having a positive pressure suit on and coming out of all that and what all the pro- what you had to do. What happened if you screwed up? For us, we got the big wire brush. No, 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 no. It, it didn't leak. <laughs> Oh my gosh! You're, you're gonna make people think that's that's the way it is because it was in the movies. No, you first. So hold on, this is totally different, Sarah. So in in a hot zone, a nuclear plant, it's getting radioactive particles on you. It's not yeah. it's not breathing or anything like that. You don't go in there with the face mask or anything like that. It's carrying hot particles out on you. And if you come out and you're hot, they just blow you off with compressed air first, Tony. Don't give them the wire brush story. <laughs> like they put you in a shower and start brushing you down. Well, they, well, it depends on if they where it is. They sometimes did have to scrub you down. Now, that is true. They would have to to wash you down. You'd have to go into the hot shower to to rinse off to get it off of you because th- those zoomies went right through you. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't yep. stick to anything. But that's nothing compared to airborne no. diseases that can kill you. <laughs> that's, that's nothing compared to that. Well, so uh, an important thing about, like I said, we actually went through the process of building the facility in the first place. So this was purpose built for what we were doing. And one of those things was at every single step, you think, can a human screw this up or can we make the building so that the human doesn't have a choice and is not able to screw it up? And anytime, and I don't think this just applies to biological weapons, anytime, even in say board game design, if you can set something up so that it automatically happens and doesn't require user interaction to be correct, that's always better. You should always do that. Fail safe. Yeah. So, you know, the way that the building's ventilation was set up, that's going to help. The way that we exited from the building, you could not physically exit the building without going through the shower. 
So you're already going to be prompted to do the right thing. <laughs> and every step of the process was like that. We had little things like tape on the floor to designate our gray zone. So when you're getting out of the facility, you have your booties on, on top of your shoes, and you take off a booty and you step with that foot into the gray zone. And then let's say you do screw that up and you accidentally step into the gray zone with your other booty on still. Well, we know we have to wash that floor, but we aren't already in the clean area. So we give ourselves these little tiny steps to make it easier. And I really think it's just like board game design. It's actually really fascinating to have gone through that process of building that building and then think about the same thing when you're playing most board games have something similar in the setup so it's just sort of prepping my brain for the future well let's talk about the <laughs> tony's still just stuck i honestly no, could i could talk to you about this all day oh, well, long yeah. and the stuff that you did but i know that we need to get on to some no, other topics but it's, seriously I, I could talk to you I, all right next okay. time we get together if we're at a con i want to go do like lunch or something and i just want to hear all these stories let's do it could That's you imagine perfect. playing pandemic whether it'd be boring no it's, it's like like you know playing with you and i in a nuclear reactor oh that can't happen i can't she'd be like this is no way this could happen this is stupid i did name all of the diseases based on the pictures and i played it the first time i was like oh look it's ebola that's my favorite <laughs> wow have you read the hot zone by richard preston one of my favorite books in the world by the way if you haven't you have to read the hot zone it's very very good I was told to go read something about the the crash of the electrical grid. I forget what it's. It's like a minute after Ooh. midnight or something like that. That I'm supposed. I haven't read that one yet. So we'll put it on the list. Okay, All right, back enough. to board gaming. <laughs> How in the world did you, Sarah, go from that job to? That's a huge transition to whatever came next, I would assume. Or was it a small transition? Were you getting into board games or something on the side while you still did this job? Okay, so this is a good question. So, uh, like I said, board games have always been a big part of my life. Um, in high school, I was playing lots of games and then got introduced to this amazing new online game that was in beta called Magic the Gathering Online <laughs> and started obviously getting hooked into magic. So when I went to college, I was studying, doing my thing, and I ended up living in a house with my eventual husband, and he also liked playing magic. So that worked out great. He taught me about paper magic. We went to tournaments. It was super fun. And he ended up with a degree, two degrees, one in philosophy and one in economics. Fantastic degrees, but not things that you graduate from and instantly get a job. So when we both graduated, he did a couple jobs that were absolutely great, but they were not long-term career jobs, working at UPS, working for a construction firm. And honestly, the hours were just terrible. So I'm working at the lab during the day, and he's doing these things, waking me up in the middle of the night. And I said, no, stop doing these jobs that wake me up in the middle of the night. Go get a different job. <laughs> so instead of getting a more traditional job, the comic book store that we had been going to and buying our Teen Titan Go comics was up for sale. And we thought that would be super fun. He is very, very good with money. He's always been an entrepreneur. He bought his first house when he was 19 and managed all of the business part of renting it out and everything else having to do with that. He is just a very, very good entrepreneur. So when that opportunity came up, that seemed like a great way for us to both spend some time together when I was done working, work at the store together. And also something I thought he would be very capable of doing and would have fun doing. So it seemed good. 
So we did that. My parents thought I was going to be in the street and poor, but I really care. It's totally fine. And so I was working at the lab, um, making sure we had health insurance, all the money stuff was figured out, and then he was doing the store stuff. Well, at at some point, the store was doing amazing and just going so much better than anybody ever could have expected. And we really, really needed to hire a manager. And I had just signed up to start my PhD work and was ready to start classes and then realized that paying to get my PhD and paying to have a manager at the store financially wasn't going to work very well. And I was honestly having a bit of a hard time doing animal research. It's not something that I disagree with happening in general. There's lots of reasons why we all benefit from having animals in research. But me personally, I was having a hard time with it. So I've always loved animals. So anyway, that's a whole other thing. So I, I sat down and said, you know what? I love games. I'm having a blast with this. The project that I was working on in the lab was coming to an end. Apparently, the government doesn't like spending lots of money on bioterrorism when they found out that the person who did the anthrax attacks was from the U.S. government. So that was kind of a downer on our funding. So it just kind of the timing worked out. And I decided to take a break from working in the lab and see how that went. So I went down to part-time at the lab and continued helping them with some things um, that I was particularly skilled at, but then also working at the store as a full-time manager. So I made that transition and really, I, I have thought about lab work again at some time because I did love lots and lots of parts of it, but I don't think that was the right overall career for me just because of certain aspects of it. So... I'm not sad that I made the switch. I think it turned out well, but I do fondly remember working in the lab. It's too bad. We could be calling her Dr. Sarah. <laughs> that, that would have been an option. In another universe, that could have happened. <laughs> hey, us Star Trek people know there's multiples. There's That's all right. kinds of, of universes out there. Now, now, I do want to ask before we continue uh, through your career, you said you were really into magic. Do you still have any of those magic cards from all those years ago and they worth anything? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't play physical magic until all of the really amazing cards were already, you know, scooped up. But I do have a, still as a deck, I had a really fun Tarmogoyf rush deck that I enjoy playing. So it's got some expensive cards in it, but nothing that's too crazy. No lotuses or anything. Oh, okay. So do you have any uh, beta cards or anything, alpha beta cards or anything like that that you collected <gasps> over the years? I was never much of a collector, to be honest. Like, we have a bunch of cards that come through our store. We've had betas and stuff that we've sold over the years. But as far as things that I personally collected, I really just have that one deck because I really like playing, but I don't like having to worry about where my cards are in my insane household with half of our stuff being at the store, half of our stuff being trapped somewhere else. I just don't like collecting things. That's not me. But I'm very happy to have a store as an outlet so that I can enjoy things and then sell them again. <laughs> so you have this store successful. Bridge us over to the next steps. What were the next steps? Okay, so I was working at the lab and even before I went to full-time manager, um, I was still full-time at the lab and I was sitting there on my lunch break on the computer looking at the Wizards of Coast website and I found this little just link on their website that said, do you want to volunteer for wizards? Click here. And so I clicked there 
And I filled out the form and I got an email back a few days later saying, do you want to go to, this is weird, South by Southwest. They invited me to go there and demo magic, which is a really strange show for them. And it was really early in the South by Southwest gaming days. So I did go as a vacation. I went on this wild journey to Austin, Texas, and... Uh, taught magic to people who thought that we were essentially playing a version of poker. And we were in this weird, huge room that was rock band being demoed and then our game (laughs) and magic. So it was a strange experience, but it was super fun to meet people from Wizards. I met Mark Price, if you know him. He's just a fantastic person in the industry and got really excited about being part of the team, teaching people how to play this thing that I love. And so I became part of the convention crew for Wizards. Um, and then my husband also signed up, and so we went to tons of conventions, Gen Con, PAX Unplugged. Uh, we did a UK Anime Expo. We went all over the place playing Magic, teaching people how to play Magic, and it was awesome. Um, and also at the same time, I had learned how to play the World of Warcraft TCG and also loved that. Um, just really enjoyed the way the mechanics worked. Played the TCG a ton before I'd ever even downloaded WoW online. And I always do things backwards, apparently. Anyway, so... <laughs> not into these popular things. But I played WoW TCG a lot and had a ton of fun making up neat special programs in our store to get other people excited about them. So we did a whole event that was combining the release of a video game expansion with the TCG where people went on quests in the mall looking for different things and then came back and got gold coins from us just like you would in the online game. It was just a blast to come up with these programs. So... When Upper Deck lost the license for it, and then Cryptozoic was immediately formed, I reached out to them and said, hey, I have tons of tournament organizing experience. I have tons of event experience. I would love to be involved with whatever you guys are doing. I love the WoW TCG. They wrote back and said, sure, you could be a volunteer at our first big event, which was in Vegas. And so that's how I got connected with Cryptozoic. So I started doing events for them. Um, We did some events in like the World Championships in Europe. We, uh, I was invited to be part of their OP team for lots of U.S. big tournaments like Worlds in Vegas and had a blast being part of their team. So when they were growing and they needed someone else on their organized play team, I reached out, sent in my resume, and they said, yes, we would love to have you, but you have to move to California. And... Mm. I said, well, I'm still working part-time in the lab. I have a store. I own a house. I've got all this stuff here. I don't really want to move. But Scott Gaeta, if you have not ever met him, he's a very convincing person. (laughs) And I talked to him quite a bit, and he convinced me to come and try it. So I moved to California and worked in the Cryptozoic office. Loved working with the team. It was a great experience for me to really get to know the industry, get to know the company from that side of things, but I hated living there. So after a year, I said, Scott, thank you for the opportunity. This has been great. By moving back to Montana, see you later. (laughs) And he said, well, if you want to keep working, I trust you. You can work from home. So I continued working for Cryptozoic for another uh, year and a half after that. So two and a half years total from the last year and a half from Montana as one of the only remote workers. So that was good. Prepped me for current times. 
Um, so yeah, I did that until Scott Gator left Cryptozoic. Yeah. Let's pause there just for a second. Because uh, now you're really crossing over with Tony and I in our history. Yeah, so, that's uh, true. Tony, Tony and I played WoW Online first, mm-hmm. uh, but we were heavy into CCGs before we got into board games. So obviously when the WoW TCG came out, he and I were all over it and and we loved it. We played tournaments and we collected everything and we bought the raid boxes and we had other friends that would come and do the raids with us. Absolutely a, a amazing game. When Upper Deck... Uh, you know, lost it and it went to Cryptozoic. I don't know. Did y'all lose the license? Is that why you had to stop making the the, the game? Because you lost it? Because Blizzard took the license back from you? I'm going to ask your opinion on this. So then, you know, Blizzard came out with Hearthstone, which is pretty much a watered-down version of WoW TCG. To me, I don't enjoy Hearthstone at all because it's so watered-down that I remember how good the card game was that I just don't get the same enjoyment out of Hearthstone. I really haven't played Hearthstone much, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's I do think it's a very different game. I think that there's something to be said for being more accessible to, especially the online community, people who maybe haven't had the experience playing pretty intense TCGs like you and I have. And so I appreciate that they wanted to make get get that out to a very very broad audience, and it seems like it's been successful for them, but. I do also very much miss the TCG because that was a blast. I love doing raids. I love making super hard decks. I love the competitive scene. I was never any good at it, but I loved all of it anyway. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, nothing lasts forever, right? <laughs> so then you said you, you left Cryptozoic about the same time Scott did, but you didn't go with Scott to Renegade because I believe Scott started Renegade right after Cryptozoic. It took him a little bit of time, but yeah, he did start Renegade pretty soon after, um, but it was just him and his wife, uh, small little team getting it started. So yeah, I worked for Yellow actually for about another year and a half after Cryptozoic. And that was a great experience too, because Yellow is a very different company than Cryptozoic was. Cryptozoic did a lot with licenses. They had a much bigger team. Um, They're very US based. Whereas Yellow is a very international company. It's French owned. They do a lot of stuff that is more family friendly. They, again, open up to a very different audience than what uh, Cryptozoic was really targeting. So it was a really good experience um, and a very small U.S. team. Like it was really just Stefan and me and then a couple other people in the California office. So uh, including Danny Lowe, who many people know in the industry now because she's amazing. So I got to work with her there, which was also super fun. Just a great experience. I learned a ton. I also got to interact with toy stores, which is something that I would not have gotten to do at a lot of other publishers because toy stores are really outside of our industry. And so it was great to learn a little bit more about how toy stores work and very eye-opening, different business models for sure. Um, so yeah, I did that for about a year and a half. That was very, very good. Now these weren't the large, these weren't the Toys R Us, rest in peace. Those types of stores were, they were the small mom and pop toy stores. So, um, as part of my job at both Cryptozoic and at Yellow, I was in charge of reaching out to what we would call mass market stores. So Toys R Us would fit into that category and we work with partners who know those stores much better, have the right connections. But I was in both of those positions in charge of presenting our products to the buyers at those bigger, bigger stores. 
Um, but yeah, when I'm talking about toy stores as that industry, it's really like a mirror of the hobby industry where we have a ton of little mom and pop stores, but they've been around for, in some cases, generations because kids have always needed toys. So I was interacting with people who were, for the most part, retired, lots of, um, school teachers previously, people who had inherited these companies from their parents, who had got from their parents, these really, really different business models that had very old school ways of doing things or really uh, well-defined processes. Whereas in the hobby industry, we're all very new. Hobbies really weren't even around until you think about the 80s and most stores from the 80s aren't even around and there weren't very many of them back then anyway. It really got to be a financial model that was viable in the 90s when we had TCGs popping up everywhere and that made it easier for local stores to open up. And so the, some of the oldest stores are not more than 20 years old. So it's a, it was interesting to work with mom and pop toy stores versus mom and pop hobby stores because they just don't work the same. So it was cool to see both. And I guess when you say hobby stores, I want to make sure you're talking about hobby game stores. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, that's also a really good definition. So hobby game stores are also very different from hobby stores as you think about like RC cars and model mm -hmm. painting. Okay. So all these terms are very vague and used in different contexts mean very different things. Um, Michael's is a hobby store. Totally agree with that. Yeah. I'm just trying to wrap my head around when you, so that I understand and can follow along. I'm sorry. No, good question. Thanks to someone who can answer, ask better questions, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are great questions. So from Yellow, you somehow ended up with Renegade. Yeah. So I worked at Yellow for, like I said, about a year and a half. And then um, Scott was finally ready to start growing his business. Um, he had started Renegade and put out Lanterns, Fuse, Gravwell, a um, couple other games like Double Feature, some really, really strong titles. And he had this great vision of putting out board games that were not only really interesting and would be fun for almost anyone to pick up and play, but also really beautiful. And back, I know it wasn't that long ago, but a lot of the board games that we had been playing for years and years were not necessarily the most interesting artwork, maybe not as modern as what we're thinking now. And I think since he opened up Renegade and really pushed the industry towards being more creative with their packaging, being a little bit more bright and colorful with their art, it's come a long ways. And I think now every single game you pick up is just absolutely amazing. But back then there really just weren't that many games. So a lot of them were great games, but not necessarily the most beautiful box. So I was excited to be part of his vision. And it was fun to, to start off with just such a teeny tiny company. It was just him and his wife and me. And then we started quickly growing after that. And what was your main role when you came in? So I actually started as the director of sales and marketing and okay. until just very recently kept that same title, but it's a small company. You wear very many hats and you do what needs to get done and you don't really worry about what people have, what titles, and you just all work together and get what needs to happen done. <laughs> So as sales and marketing, and this is me putting, once again, the timeline together from bugs, super deadly diseases to sales and marketing. <laughs> no, wait, hold on, hold on. You forgot a lot in there. You forgot store owner. 
You store forgot, owner. Uh, yeah. You forgot a uh, con organizer, organized play event uh, organizer. But I was trying to think sales and marketing and deadly viruses. <laughs> was there anything you took from that deadly viruses to help you in sales and marketing? Oh, absolutely. I think it's really important as a scientist, and now we're seeing this more than ever, to be able to explain what you're doing to your mom or to anyone who walks into your office. And I think that it's really, really important just to help people understand science in really accessible ways. And if you can do that with complicated biomechanics of a disease, then you can do that with a board game. And so I always thought it was important to be able to think and talk about what I was working on in the lab in an understandable, accessible way. So I certainly learned a lot from that. Also, a lot of weird skills like Photoshop. You have no idea how many hours I spent looking through a microscope, taking pictures of fluorescent bacteria that I had labeled and then photoshopping it into a presentation that I was giving for a seminar. And all of those things I still do today, <laughs> except for the microscope part of it. <laughs> but those, those types of skills have definitely transferred over. And just working with other people, I feel like you graduate from college and we're all kind of just not necessarily socially adept and working in an office environment is not a very natural human thing to do. So I made some mistakes working in the lab. I wish I could take back and I learned a lot from that. And it was good for me to grow as an employee, get better at a lot of those just inner human skills. And then working at a retail store definitely helped with that too. But all of these things are just growing as a human. And pushing out the tournaments and doing organized play, all that just kept compounding and helping and helping in the role you're in, I guess. Oh, yeah. I think almost anything that you want to accomplish in life is going to be done in very tiny steps that you do every single day. Whether you have a goal of running a marathon, teaching your dog how to be a great family member, building a board game, working with diseases, all of these things you do in teeny tiny little steps, accomplishing just a little bit more every single day. Now, I will say at this point, I said at the beginning of the show, we I first talked to you in 2015. That is incorrect because I just looked it up. Our paths cross right after you take a job uh, with Renegade in October 2016. I first met you in Atlanta at the GTS Come and Play. Yeah, and I, ha- I, I have I have an e- I have an email that I sent to you here uh, where I had interviewed you. You were on our episode one zero five way back wow. in November uh, twenty sixteen, and uh, the first uh, game that I ever got from you was Blood of an Englishman. <gasps> I love that game still. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. It's very very good. It's it's by Dan Kassar. Uh, same designer as Arboretum. So another one of our extremely popular games. If you love Arboretum, I think Blood of an Englishman is a really like hidden gem in our catalog. It's just a fantastic two-player game. Is it still made? We do still have copies of it and we sell it. We haven't reprinted it in a little while, but it is not, it's not in the vault yet. <laughs> And that's the one, Marty, if I remember, somebody's the giant. One, of course, is Jack, and the giant is trying to get Jack, and he's trying to get into there, get the jewels, if I remember. It's been it's been a while. It's a two-player asymmetric game, which is one thing that appealed to we us love, about it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
But I just thought it's in- interesting that I found that email going back back to Atlanta. And I remember sitting there uh, down in the basement of the hotel um, interviewing you at, the, at that time because I was really, we, really, we loved Gravwell. Oh, so yeah. Renegade was already on our, our list of exciting companies we're interested in because we loved Gravwell so much. So when they brought in Gravwell, we were interested to see what other games y'all had come out with. And by the way, my ships and my Gravwell have migrated to Star Trek. <laughs> That's fair. They are really good ships. <laughs> I know. I mean, so that whenever if Gravwell hits the table and you have an app, you're not going to see some plastic multicolor ship. I got the USS Enterprise, got Klingon, Bird of Prey. It's all right there in my Gravwell, ready to go. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. Now, now, I will say at this point in time, Tony, this is the part, this is the point in uh, Sarah's career where she starts trying to avoid us so they have to grow <gasps> renegade. <laughs> Because she's sick of hearing from us. So they go and uh, Sarah's like, I didn't need to hire somebody. So I believe around this, some, sometime after this, you get uh, pick up Danny. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny comes and joins you at Renegade. And then Sarah quickly says, Marty, you now talk to Danny. Oh, no. uh, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a terrible way to put it. I, I love talking to media people. Content creators are amazing. But yes, I want you to also get a response. <laughs> <laughs> Your email is buried under thousands of other emails I got that day. I might not get back to you fast enough. So I very much appreciate the other team members I have to help me. <laughs> Funny. So, so in your in your position of sales and marketing, what is probably one of the most challenging things that y'all have to do at Renegade? Honestly, I think it's just getting above the noise right now because it is incredible how many amazing games there are out there that people have access to. And not only great games, but just entertainment in general. We have incredible video games that are now cheap and easy to get a hold of. We have all sorts of fantastic outdoor activities. We no longer have movies, but we have Netflix and all sorts of other media just at our fingertips 100% of the time with every person's attention being drawn in a thousand different directions. So getting above the noise within our own industry and getting above the noise of everything else going on in people's lives is a huge challenge. But I do think that we have some really, really cool games that hit just the right mark, especially with some of our things like the Power Rangers game. If you love Power Rangers as a kid and you think that it would be fun to play a game with all these characters that you remember and love from your childhood, that nostalgia factor is really hard to beat with any other game. So playing up on some of those strengths, I think, has been really a smart direction for Renegade to go into. But that's really the biggest challenge. And I think that that's kind of a cool thing to see happening. Because when I started playing games, it was, you know, just Catan and Agricola and a few other things that we had to choose from. And now we have a bazillion different amazing games to choose from. And that has grown the whole community so much, which is good. But that's interesting you said to get above the noise. It wasn't just the noise of other games. It's above all the noise. Yep. Yep, I think that's really important for especially game companies to think about. And especially now because we have different priorities in our lives now that we're quarantined, we're all stuck inside, we can't go to our game store, we can't have weekly board game nights. So we are all dealing with totally different things going on in our everyday lives than we did before. So how do we balance the things that people are needing to deal with with allowing them to enjoy something and have some fun in their lives, something that brightens their day and gets them excited. 
but how do we get that information to those people when they're so distracted by everything else going on? So you're you're in sales and marketing, and I understand sales. You're wanting to make sure that you know you can sell the stuff and make money. One of my titles previously is another company as I was in product marketing. I know in my industry, there's two types of marketing. There, there's marketing where you th- a lot of people think of marketing, making ads, commercial spots and stuff, trying to market to the public. But then there's also product marketing. It's like, what are we going to sell? Uh, what does what do customers want? And can I go find what they want and bring it to them? So in your role in sales and marketing, is it are you more focused on the ad portion of here? Okay, we got a game. Let's try to sell it, put out ads and get the word out there. Or are you, okay, now what game do our customers want and can we go find it? Yeah, that's a good question. So our sales and marketing team is one unit. And I say that because they're so interconnected that parsing those two things out from each other would be very difficult. And I don't think you even should try because every person on my team is both trying to sell things and trying to market things. Um, And in our industry, I think that marketing, instead of just throwing advertisements and papers and putting up Facebook ads, all of that's fine and you will reach some people, but we want to do more than that and really become part of people's daily routine and part of their lives in a way that makes these games more than just a game for them. And so building communities like our Power Rangers community, I go back to that one again because they're just amazing and I love them. Our Power Rangers community is a Facebook group where people can go and talk about all of the Power Rangers things that they love. And then also sometimes they talk about the game that we make. But we had this goal of getting all of them together in one place so that they could enjoy the community and then also get a benefit as a bonus to playing our game. And we're just starting that out with our Vampire the Masquerade Rivals expandable card game, also beginning that little seed of a community of all these people who have the shared love for vampire to come together and have something to do. Um, and so we have some really exciting community announcements we're going to be making very shortly having to do with Vampire that I'm super, super excited about because I think it gives some way for people to connect with the thing that they love, even though they can't get together and play right away. And you recently just brought, had a new hire brought in, Matt? Yeah, Matt Holland. Yep. He previously worked at Fantasy Flight. And because I watched your uh, Twitch Was she Twitch event. Yeah, she was twitching a couple weeks ago when they had Matt on to talk about organized play. And uh, obviously with Vampire, I think it's so cool too because you have so much history in organized play that you know Mm -hmm. how important this is. And Tony and I have a history of CCGs and we know that if there's no organized play, the game will fall off the face of the earth. And I can think of several games that due to lack of organized play, it kind of went away because you're hardcore didn't have anything to do and they just found another game. So I'm excited to see that, you know, somebody with your experience is like, okay, we know this is extremely important to have store events and online events, et cetera, for the game. Oh, that's hilarious. You say that actually, because we just hours ago, just a few hours ago, we had an organized play meeting for vampire just to tighten up some stuff, make sure we were all on the same page. 
And Matt Holland was talking about, because he worked in organized play at Fantasy Flight as well, and he was saying, okay, well, I want to do this theme, but I don't want to just do it because I did it at Fantasy Flight. And all of the rest of the team just sort of let out a little chuckle and said, it's not just Fantasy Flight that did that. We have been doing programs that fit into that category that we're talking about since way before you even knew what a game was. <laughs> this, is all, this is just stuff that you need to do to make an organized play program work and be fun for people so you're not stealing an idea from fantasy flight you're using the idea that scott made back when he was working at decipher doing the star trek tcg or the lord of the rings tcg this stuff has just been around for forever and it was fun to to have that moment because it made me remember how much experience on our team we have with organized play every single person in that meeting today has been working with organized play programs for at least five years and many of them 20 years it's just crazy i can't think of a team that has more organized play experience outside of probably wizards of the coast i'm excited about that i'm i am so excited for this game for a a couple reasons this game is the closest thing that reminds me of Netrunner, which I love. I loved Netrunner because it was asymmetric, but not only that, because there's multiple ways to win. With games like Magic, there's only really, really kind of one way to win, is knock out the other person, take their life force down to zero sort of deal. Uh, I love with Vampire, there's multiple strategies, there's multiple in-game conditions for you to win, which is kind of like Netrunner. So that's why I'm excited. That, and it supports up to four players. The idea of having a LCG or expandable card game that can support multiplayer is really exciting. I think that is really unusual. I was thinking about, because there have been a lot of games that are card games that have some slightly different formats, like Game of Thrones. I think it's a fantastic LCG that works up to four players. But it's not necessarily a two-player great experience. And then there's games like Magic. That's uh, You can play lots of different formats, but it's built as a two-player heads-up game. And so I am excited with Vampire that you can play it at any of those player counts, two to four, and have a really great and different experience. But yeah, it's it does make calculating things a little bit more difficult. So we got to do some math to make sure all the points work out for our tournaments. But we've got all that under... Under control. Should be good. And Marty will, and I will never stop pitching to Scott the Lord of the Rings um, trading card game mechanic. We will push that forever. I don't care. She may not know what that what we're talking yeah, which, about. Which mechanic? Just so everyone's on the same page. So when you play a card from Lord of the Rings um, trading card game, you would, as the fellowship, you would pay for that card into a pool, the shadow pool. The other player in would then be able to take from the shadow pool to pay for their cards to try to stop you. So it was, do I really want to play this card? Cause I'm giving them the ability to play a card against me later. Mm-hmm. And then the other brilliance behind that game was the multiplayer aspect, especially of the fact that you could play odd number. So once again, as the fellowship, I would put tokens into the pool and then the two players that were uh, against me would then be able to take, but they would have to negotiate And then once the fellowship turn was done for one player, it moves to the next person doing their fellowship. So that that whole pool thing is, we don't don't care what the theme is. We just want that pool back. (laughs) Yeah, basically it's a shared resource. Uh, One player can pay as much as they want, but the more you pay into that resource pool, the more that your opponent has to spend to get his cards out on the table, his or her cards. What a 
fascinating mechanic. I actually didn't know that about the Lord of the Rings card game. That's interesting. I do think that one thing Scott has always done very well with every game that he's been a part of is making sure that it is very thematic so that a fan of that property would love that part of the game. And I think Mm -hmm. that he did that really well with the direction he gave with all the Decipher games, including Lord of the Rings, the Star Trek TCG, and several others. Um, And I am excited about that with Vampire as well, because it doesn't just feel like a good game, although it is. It feels like a good game that was made for somebody who loves the World of Darkness universe. And it has special things that you would never find in other game because they wouldn't make sense for other places or other themes. It makes sense because it's in the world of darkness. So when you talk about the marketing strategy, is it different to market an IP versus just a homegrown idea? How, how is that different? Oh, they're like night and day. They're completely different. So when you're talking about a homegrown game from scratch, you have this pool of people who love, let's say we're marketing a board game. You certainly have people who love board games, but they will enjoy all sorts of different board games. Maybe you love party games and Marty loves deep, heavy Euros and I just want to play abstract strategies, whatever that is. So you have a huge group of people that are split up into these little teeny tiny factions. Whereas with an IP, let's say Scott Pilgrim or Vampire the Masquerade, you already have a group of people who love something about the game that you've made And you just have to make sure that you are good enough at doing that thing that you are exciting for them. So you know what your target is, as opposed to board games where your target is all over the place with a million different reasons why people play board games. With an IP, you know that they're going to automatically at least look at it if they love that IP. So if they love Star Trek and you make a Star Trek game, there's a much better chance that Star Trek fans will look at it. So you can target it towards them. Um, And especially now with the way the internet works, we can get very, very granular with that and find the right people who might be interested in our thing. But then you have to actually do a good job with it, which I think is harder to do with an IP game because you can't just slap that license on top of a good game or a, a reasonable game and just hope that they fit together. You have to actually make a game for that license. So it goes a different direction, which it's actually interesting. Like we hired Matt Hyra to be part of our team recently. He's a game designer that worked at Cryptozoic for a long time, worked at Upper Deck before that. He even worked on Pokemon. So he's had a really long career. He is the most, <laughs> uh, he's made more deck building engines than any other designer ever. Incredible designer, but he's really good at learning everything about a a license, everything about some brand, and then making a great game that makes sense for that brand. And so that's why he's part of our team. I'm really excited to have him back with us. So going back to something you mentioned about, you know, you had, we're just talking about IP games, non-IP games, and you're talking about, you got to get above the noise. So in in marketing, I'm sure that you see a lot of games and you see a lot of pitches how do you decide what's going to cut through that noise? Do you have do you throw a game on the table in front of a lot of different uh, play groups and see what sticks? You just got enough experience now to know we think this is going to work. So how do you go through that process of weeding through probably all the stuff that you have to look at and try to pick out those gems that I think will get you over the top? 
So it is different depending on if you're doing an original game versus a licensed game. So talking about just original games, I am just in love with board games, as are many of the people on our team. And so we've played enough current modern board games to sort of know what things are out there and what things people are excited about, what is cutting through the noise, and just what what's already been done before. So when we play an original game design, if it grabs us, if there's something new and special about it, if it catches our attention, then that's something that we'll look into further. And then we have to think, how does this fit into the rest of our catalog? How does it fit into the timing of our releases? Do we have room in our schedule with the resources Renegade has to be able to get this to the market in the way that we want to do that? And so we're becoming a lot more picky, which I'm sure game designers have noticed in a lot of publishers about which games we actually take on. And a lot of those projects are becoming bigger projects that we spend more time on and we want to get to a higher level than we ever have before. So for example, we have My Father's Work coming out as a Kickstarter project in a couple months here, which we haven't talked about much yet, but if you go and look up um, Man vs. Meeple did do a little most anticipated list and Jeremy Salinas picked that as one of his games. That is one of our projects that would fit into this description. It's very unusual. It grabbed us immediately. It is super different from anything on the market in a lot of ways, but similar enough that I think people will find it familiar and exciting and be able to understand what we're trying to do with it. And we're trying to make every single part of that that huge game perfect. And so that's the kind of projects that we're more excited about doing. Um, but then we have a few other little projects like Stellar came out earlier this year. We have a follow-up to that coming out pretty soon because it did well. It has a connection mm-hmm. to something else we've already done. It fits into our card game line. We have Arboretum, Fox and Forest, Fox and Forest Duet, games that all do really well. So adding things to that line is almost like doing a licensed game where we already know we have an audience for this. We know how to reach them. We have their attention. Let's put out the next thing that they'll enjoy. So that is different than putting out something like My Father's Work, where we don't necessarily know if we have any fans who will like this game because of its weirdness, but we think that the general board game community will be very excited about it. So we believe that we can get that to their hands and have a really fun experience for them ready to go. A license. So games, how do you overcome that hurdle? I mean, the hurdle of reaching those people um mm-hmm. again I mean, it's, I mean you said hey, it's a challenge it's a challenge it for us you know well, how are we gonna get there yeah so how do you do it miss old miss <laughs> vp of sales and marketing it, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just like anything else i said it's a lot of little tiny baby steps it's creating a lot of really good games in a row that people enjoyed so that they are more likely to look at your next game it's building marketing newsletter lists of lots of people who have been interested enough in your stuff that they'll read your newsletter every week. Creating other content that's not just selling your game and being a shill. It's stuff like we have our, (laughs) again, our Power Rangers community, we do lots of painting with them because they have all these wonderful models and they enjoy the extra bonus content we create, like free scenarios, free painting videos, how to get your painting list ready to go for the next set. All of these little extra things that just get them more involved and remind them that you're there 
that's not just trying to shove stuff down their throat that they don't want. That's never going to work. <laughs> so tiny little baby steps every day of building trust and making great stuff so that people are more interested in the next thing you have. So a couple of years ago, I remember making, um, we're talking about this on the show. At the time, it seemed like Renegade Games went from releasing a couple really good games uh, a year to uh, two or three years ago. It's like we were getting, seems like every day, a new newsletter of a new <laughs> release from Renegade. It was just like oh, game yeah. after game after game. And, I, and honestly, uh, I, cu I couldn't keep up. It was like we were literally having to pick, well, that one looks interesting. Uh, that, um, that one looks interesting. <laughs> Have you found that that's the way to do it is just to throw out a lot of games in hopes that a couple stick? And is that something you're going to stick with? Are you going to be like, well, we're going to put all of our eggs in about four baskets as opposed to splitting them out over 15 baskets? I think that it's more about targeting the right audience. Because if I can find out that you really like a particular kind of game, then I can be more careful in my messaging to you so that I'm not telling you about all these other games that you never necessarily hooked into yet. I can tell you about the one that you're going to love. And I know that you're going to love it because you already told me you loved something else. And so that's our goal is to fine tune that marketing so that we're giving you little references to other things. Maybe we didn't know you loved Vampire, but we knew you loved Clank. Well, we can tell you about the next Big Clank expansion. We know you're going to be excited about that. But then at the bottom, we also, just a reminder, we're doing this vampire thing. And so that way we can catch the people we need to catch and get the information out to people who care without bothering you. I never want to bother people. <laughs> I want to make it exciting and fun and tell you the things you want to hear about. So that's a very fine line and it's difficult to do because we do have a very broad catalog now and not everyone is going to love every single game we put out, but we think that we can find a game for every person. And those are kind of two different things. So we need to make sure our marketing mm -hmm. is more specific. Can I get more puzzles? <laughs> yes. Did you not see the new latest newsletter? No, I, I didn't get it. Maybe I'll let me go check spam. Four new puzzles were announced Ooh. this week, just yesterday, in fact, and this is a really cool different project. So this is another one of those ones where a lot of our marketing goals are just to reach brand new people, too, and bring them into the fold of hobby board gaming and now puzzles. And so we're doing a partnership with EC Comics, and EC Comics is really cool because they made some of the very first early sci-fi horror comic books that actually scared parents into thinking that their kids were going to be evil because they were reading comic books because they were just a little step out there. But really, you look at them today and you're like, these are just awesome sci-fi stories of people venturing to new planets or getting sucked into a hole and meeting dinosaurs. So they have these really iconic covers. Um, we have several from uh, Wally Woodward, I think. I have to double check that one. Um, so one of the famous artists back from the day, and then also Frank Frazetta, another one of um, the artists I was more familiar Ooh. with. So if you like their artwork, these old school comic covers are now going to be puzzles. So you can enjoy the artwork for a long time as you put these together. And I actually do a lot of puzzles. Personally, that's a hobby I enjoy. And I spend a lot of time just in the evenings with my husband, listening to music that we love, chatting about life, 
and putting a puzzle together. And we find that very relaxing and wonderful. So I'm excited to actually get to do that as part of my career now. Nice new venture for Renegade. Who gets to put in the last piece? (laughs) Okay. I have not told him this, but I have been noticing carefully because he's a pretty funny guy. So anyway, I've been paying attention. He almost always lets me put in the last piece. He's very careful about that. But we have our, our pattern. So I love finding all the pieces in the box and pulling them out and organizing them. And then he puts them together. So he does all of the outside of the puzzle. I get all of one color together and then give them to him and he'll put them all together where they go. And then it, kind of halfway through, we both start just putting things in where they go. But he almost always lets me put the last piece in. <laughs> I can tell you that the uh, puzzle that my wife and I put together from Renegade almost brought blows to the table. (laughs) (laughs) They're not easy. I would say our puzzles have not been for the faint of heart. And yes, I would recommend building up to that level of puzzling. (laughs) Well, she's put together 2,000-piece, 3,000-piece puzzles without any problems, and her and my daughter will do that. But this Renegade puzzle, you know, we did the one for Overlight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Somehow put in three or four pieces not correct. <gasps> and, Blasphemy. And it threw the whole, pu- yeah, and it threw the whole puzzle off. Yeah. And you don't realize it. So I'm, I'm excited about this. So, yes. <laughs> mm. And what a perfect time to come out with the whole line of puzzles in the year where you go to Walmart and Target, et cetera, and the puzzles are just gone because that's what everybody wants to do. And I think it was a brilliant move to come out with puzzles of your board game covers. When, when it came out, we talked about it on the show. I thought, I said, this is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant because I don't know the cost behind it, but I wouldn't think it would be that much of a cost to send some art over to China or wherever, punch it and throw it in a box. You have no idea. He has no you idea. No he has idea. no idea. Do you know something I don't, Tony? Oh, yeah. When you do a puzzle, you have to have, first off, your die cutter. Your die cutter is only good for so many puzzles before the edges start to fray. So you have to put that in perspective. Then when you design the die cutter, you got to make sure it cuts appropriately because if you don't cut, like um, if you segment a line or you don't have it cut so it makes it very difficult to identify where to put a piece together, then you have a whole nother issue that comes into play. Then the dies have to be perfectly centered around the, the image itself. And, oh, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, there is a lot behind designing an actual puzzle before it gets into the box. You, you don't realize it. I, I, I didn't until I started researching all this. And, I mean, we kid about it. But, yeah, we do this segment on the show about puzzles now because, well, it's stupid COVID. <laughs> Renegade in Ravensburger has had a line of puzzles this past year and Tony and his wife have been doing a lot of them. So I think it was a great business plan and um, I hope you hope you see more of them. Oh, oh yeah. We have, we have lots more plans along those lines, but it's interesting because Scott actually wanted to do puzzles before COVID because his wife does a lot of puzzles. I do a ton of puzzles and we have all this great artwork. How hard can it possibly be, right? So <laughs> he already wanted to do this. And then when COVID hit, he said, well, let's just accelerate this plan a little bit. He was holding back because we had a lot of other stuff going on in the company. We were really busy. He said, well, let's strike while the iron's hot. Well, by that time, all puzzles were already gone. Every puzzle manufacturer was already booked up for years. It was just actually really difficult. And 
as Tony mentioned, there is more to putting together a puzzle that, to print it than you would imagine, but there's also a million other people trying to do the same thing. And so it's a very competitive market. It's not just a slam dunk. You have beautiful artwork and you instantly make lots of money. It's definitely not one of those. <laughs> Although some, some things like TCGs feel that way. Sometimes there is more behind the scenes. So uh, you were mentioning like the die cut where all the pieces are cut and things like being very careful that you don't have pieces that fit in multiple places. All of that is stuff that we've been learning and getting better at. And our next set of puzzles will be more specific that way. Um, but it's also really hard to do actually. And you can't just have a random graphic designer who's amazing at making board games all of a sudden make a brand new die cut for puzzles. So we had some, some people help us with that. But if you want to know more about that, if that's something that interests you, there's actually a really good post on the anatomy uh, puzzle that Genius Games did as a Kickstarter. So they put out an update talking about this exact thing and how they designed each one of those cuts and how they had to go back and fix a whole bunch of them and redo that process and how that worked and goes into lots of great details. So Genius Games also makes some great puzzles. I love their anatomy Kickstarter. Definitely check that out if you're interested in science at all or puzzles because it was very cool. And science is something something you love. So there you yeah. go. I mean, yeah, very cool. So just two things on that, and then we can move over, Marty. But um, so number one, for your next puzzle, I want you to look up The Great Wave. It's a Japanese art. It, just do that and look for that puzzle. All the pieces, except for the edge, are the same shape, slightly different, so you can put them together. It's amazing. Wow, that sounds hard. <laughs> And second, for 1% payback to RDTN, what I'd like you to do is do a clank puzzle so that I can glue it. And now it's my clank board. (laughs) Brilliant idea. Brilliant. I like it. I like it. (laughs) That's not bad. You have to, it's like, it's like, you know, you have a miniatures game where you got put together miniatures before you can play. Now you have to put together your game board. I like that. You know, there hasn't been a lot of innovation in puzzles because people have been doing them for a long time and they're usually just about the same. But if you haven't seen the Magic Puzzle Company, which actually, oh, yeah. oh my goodness. So they're actually, the Cards Against Humanity people made a puzzle company and did a Kickstarter. I've been doing those lately. And they, they are puzzles with a surprise ending, which won't make any sense until you do them. But they are some of the most fun things I've done in a long time. Highly recommend those. So I think there is some room for innovation. I like your idea of making a board and then playing a game on it. That's cool. Or the puzzles or the image on the cover is not the image you're putting together. It's been aged 30 years. Oh, those are those are already done by another company. I have done those. Yeah, they are. I, I'm just yeah, saying yeah. those are just some of the innovations. Oh, that yes. come, The exit room puzzles. Yeah. But once uh, it's all yours, you take that idea, you run with it. I promise I won't. There will be no lawyer stuff involved in all of this. It's all y'all. One percent coming back. That's all I ask. <laughs> That's funny. Amazing. And, and uh, so I got one final question before we move on, in case you have another one, Tony, is what is the game that put Renegade Games on the map? I would say it's probably Lanterns, although Fuse is a really, really close second. And both of them are still incredibly popular and sell very well in our catalog. I think Lanterns is probably the one that tipped it over the edge. And I think that it's for a lot of reasons. One, it's absolutely beautiful. 
Two, it's a very different game. I have not, I had never really played anything quite like it. Although it was familiar enough, if you'd played things like Carcassonne, that it wasn't totally outside of the realm of understanding. And the rulebook is very, very well written and designed. So it kind of ticked every mark, especially at the time that came out, where a lot of people were really just learning about this whole new industry and playing board games with their families and expanding into newer games. It was just absolutely the right timing. And Scott also did some really, really smart things with marketing it. He picked several store owners that he was friends with in the industry, including my store. And we did a big marketing push for it where he sent us 50 copies of the game and we didn't have to pay for them full returnability until we had sold them. And then we just pushed those right during Christmas and sold a ton of them. So it was a brilliant marketing move at that time worked really well, got a lot of store owners excited and paying attention, and was just a really, really good game. So I would say it's Lanterns. I would have guessed wrong. I would have thought it had been Clank. So Clank was a little bit later, and I do think that Clank kept pushing in that direction. But we would not have been able to sell Clank as well as we did had it not been for Lanterns coming first. And my final question is, and this is kind of like an interview question, where are you in the next 10 years? Where are you? Well, hopefully still in Bozeman. Well, how about Montana. five years? Let's just go five years. So <laughs> okay. so <laughs> well, it's interesting. Like I think back about the beginning of Renegade and the beginning of Cryptozoic, and these things seem so long ago in the perspective of the industry, like how much this industry has changed. And then I look at the calendar and realize, like Marty, I feel like I've known you for 20 years. I can't believe it's only been five. That is crazy to me. So... In five more years, I hope I know five more people like Marty because that would be amazing. And Tony, oh, that's not too. good. <laughs> that just means she's going to tire five, five more people not to talk to her. Oh, no. oh, no. But I, I, I want to see this community growing by that much is what I mean by that. And more people getting into it and enjoying this wonderful community, this wonderful industry, this great pastime that really does bring people together. Because we have so many distractions that keep us apart now. And so I would love to be part of that. And I would love to see Renegade using these incredible licenses that we've recently acquired, like G.I. Joe, Transformers, My Little Pony, uh, Vampire the Masquerade, to reach people who didn't even know that this awesome industry existed and pull them into this fold. So I think in five years, Renegade is going to have a much bigger fan base. Many, many people who are just discovering all this fun stuff. And hopefully I can keep doing what I'm doing now. That would make me very happy. So do we want an SVP? Well, I mean, uh, never mind. I'm just going to start calling her Madam Vice President. <laughs> nice. Hey, Madam Press, Scott's retired. He says, you got this, girl. Go on. I mean, if Scott gets hit hit by a bus, then you got to make sure somebody can take the reins. But let's, let's hope that doesn't ever happen. <laughs> and I was picking on you earlier, earlier about uh, the whole passing me off, but I think it is funny that uh, when That's Danny nice. left, had to go do other things. Sarah was like, yeah, Marty, if you need anything, you can talk to me. Oh, and then like a couple no. weeks later, Marty, Marty, here's Terry. You go talk to Terry now. <laughs> and then at the end of last year, Terry moved on to some other stuff. And Sarah's like, yeah, if you need anything, you can talk to me. <laughs> and then three weeks ago, it was like, Marty, here's Jody. Go talk to Jody now. <laughs> <laughs> I always want to make sure you're taken care of. 
But wasn't it Sarah who said, I don't have time to talk to y'all at Gen Con? Oh, wait, there's Tantrum House. Come over here. Oh, no. Oh, no, that no, that was Danny. That was Danny. That was not Sarah. That was Danny. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm never going to blame Sarah for that. All right, Sarah, before you get out of here with every one of our guests that we have on, we always like to play our game of rank them. So Sarah, I think you may have played this game before, but this is Rankem, where we're going to give you three items, and you can rank them however you want. Tell us why. Do you understand the rules of the game? Yes. I've played much more complicated games than this, so I think I can handle it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Just wow. That's fair. Okay. You want me to kick it off, Tony, or you? I'll kick it off. Here we go. Rank the following. Hearts, spades, and I don't know if you've ever played... Pitch or Euchre, whatever version that you might have played. Have you ever played a Pitch or Euchre? Uh, yeah, yeah. Rank Hearts, Spades, and Pitch. Hearts. Definitely Hearts. I played a lot okay. of Hearts on my computer when I first got Windows 95. And so I just like Hearts. They're super fun. Okay, keep going. Spades and then... Oh, I have to rank all of them. Oh, Yeah. Hearts, spades, and I thought you said this game was easy, Sarah. I already messed up the rules. I am going to put my foot <laughs> in my mouth now. <laughs> so hearts is number one, spades is number two, and the pitch is number three. Because I didn't play a lot of euchre as a kid. That wasn't something we had in our family. But I have learned more about it as an adult as we've had trick-taking games in our catalog and learned more about that. So for me, it's also going to be uh, hearts first. I pl- we played the mess out of spades in college and almost got too easy. It's mm-hmm. like we knew each other too well, so we had to do other games. I, hearts came in there for that. And I've never played Pitch, so that would be my last. But for me, it's going to be Spades because of the team play. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to mm-hmm. go to Pitch just for, once again, it's a betting, trying to push your luck on that. And then Hearts. Hearts is more of that casual type of game. For me. The next one I have is typically the example I have to explain the rules. People are like, why this, Martin? This is so generic, but there's a reason for this. Chocolate, strawberry, banana. Banana, easy. Banana's number one, and then chocolate, and then strawberry. All right, so I'm ranking these based on what I want on top of a scoop of vanilla ice cream, and that would be strawberry, chocolate, and then banana. The reason why I did this, Tony, you may not realize this, Sarah is the only person that when we hand out moon pies, she wants a banana one. Everybody else wants chocolate, and Sarah has said, please bring me banana. So I always try to make sure that when I see her, when I'm going to a convention, I at least have a banana with me to give to her. (laughs) I blame you for this because I love those things, and it's your fault. And the only place I can get them is this one gas station in Big Sky, Montana, that's about an hour away from my house. (laughs) So every time we drive by there, which is not too bad because it is on the way to Yellowstone National Park. So when we're driving to Yellowstone, I have to stop at this gas station and get a banana moon pie because they're amazing. But there's another really good reason to love bananas. And that's because they are suffering right now from a terrible fungal infection that has spread all the way around the world. And bananas are in a dire position right now. So enjoy bananas while you can. They may not be around for forever. 
Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, this is news, news flash. I have not heard of this. Yeah, go look it up. I'm not even making this up. So they actually already went through this once and there was one variant of bananas that is not as good as bananas that our parents grew up with, but it was able to survive the first version of this fungal infection. And so those are the bananas we know today. And even those are now succumbing to the same, to a new variant of the fungus. So... It's actually a really big problem. Oh my, I did not know this. So can't they do some genetic, you know, modifications to try to have a banana that fights it? You're now getting into GMOs, which not everyone is in love with. Although me as a biotech student, I'm totally fine with most GMOs as long as they're done certain ways, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yeah, you have to get communities on board with these new genetic variants of bananas. So that's a whole other scientific discussion that we could talk about for a long time. But yes, go do your own research, learn about what's happening, and enjoy your bananas, especially banana moon pies. Where, where am I going to get my potassium? <laughs> Spinach. That's another good one. Although you should probably cook it because it is a calcium binder, and so if you don't want to have calcium deficiency issues don't eat tons and tons of kale or spinach unless you cooked it um but yeah that's another way you can get potassium i didn't know that stop it we're learning stuff it's a problem with <laughs> reptiles like if you have reptiles that need to eat greens then you don't want to feed them things like raw spinach or at least you need to be very careful to only feed them in certain amounts so that they don't have calcium binding issues wow <laughs> I'm just being educated. right? I have never been so educated in Rankum, Tony. I was just wanting to know what her favorite flavor of moon pie was. And all of a sudden we're learning about bananas are going away. And don't eat raw kale. Or spinach. And that, you know, that's good because I cook all the spinach. I mean, and I don't even throw it in salads. I throw, you know, it's, it's always being cooked inside the stews and whatever. I always throw spinach inside stuff. You would really, you would have to eat a lot of it as a human for this to be a real issue for calcium binding, but in reptiles, it is a real problem. So you do need to be very careful with your reptiles. Well, I'll make sure Mr. Salamander over there doesn't eat any raw. I don't have any. <laughs> get rid of those little, what are they called, Marty? The little um, lizards that we have where the tails pop off? Geckos? Skinks? Skinks. You have skinks? Skinks. Oh, awesome. It's not skank. Oh my gosh. Skink. <laughs> um, and, and by the way, my, my, I say it wrong all the time. Uh, my <laughs> ranking for this is it's based on moon pies, a strawberry chocolate banana. So that, that was my result. The whole thing was just to find out that Sarah likes banana moon pies. And then we're talking about we're not going to have bananas anymore. So that took a dark turn. I was not expecting Sorry. that. Sorry. <laughs> it's always depressing when you get into infectious diseases, except that I find them really fascinating. So I end up bringing them up a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I want that. I want that resignation letter in. I want you back in the lab. I want my banana. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am a okay with GMOs. I need a banana over here. Let's go. <laughs> I no kidding. I would be totally happy doing whatever science needs to happen to save bananas because I love bananas. And I recently, I never did this before, but due to the lockdowns. I learned how to make banana bread, and it is dangerously oh. wonderful. So now I'm even more oh, so good. more excited about bananas than normal. With or without nuts? No nuts. No, no nuts. But with chocolate chips. Ooh. And then the next day after you made it, you make banana bread French toast, which is exactly like normal French toast except oh. with banana bread. <laughs> nice. 
And then you put all the syrup on it. And, uh-huh. Oh, oh yeah. Heaven. Well, this isn't a rankum, but I am now curious because of the banana thing. <laughs> so, so what level of green is your banana before you say, well, when is a banana too done for you? And at what level of green will you not eat it? Oh, man. That's a debate. That's a debate for me and my daughter. I think that they do taste different. And I really like pretty green bananas. And I am happy to eat bananas that are almost ready for banana bread, except that in my house, you get trouble in trouble if you leave less than four bananas available. So they have to be, they get pretty dark. And then I use them for banana bread because I think they taste better that way. And are you a top or bottom opener? Oh, I hate to. What's considered top this. and what's considered bottom? Well, the part with the extra stem versus the bottom the that's not connected. Yeah, the stem versus. I remember to open them on the bottom like a good uh, chimpanzee, only occasionally. <laughs> if, it works though. It's were, true. It yeah, does pull the strings off. It does. If I were a better primate, I would open them by the bottom every time. But I don't always remember <laughs> to do that because I was taught incorrectly. And you and you don't bruise it as well. I mean, by pulling on the top, you're bruising the top. So anyway, wow, Rankum just went 40 minutes. Okay. Because <laughs> we, we just learned a whole bunch of stuff. Hey, we are educational. Hey, I'm depressed. I'm not going to get banana pudding anymore. What the heck's going on over here? Well, you can always use fake banana flavoring. But, you know, runts, like those little candies you got as a kid that taste like different fruit flavors. The yeah. banana runts, that's what bananas used to taste like. And now they don't anymore, which makes me sad. So maybe we can get back to that banana flavor. Okay, so I'm going to have to go buy some of those to find out. Some runs. Yeah, what a runs. Yeah, the flavor of it. Okay, let's try to liven this up a little bit. All right, here we go. (laughs) My second and last rankum, Yellowstone National Park, Glacier National Park, Little Bighorn Battlefield National Park. Oh, interesting. Okay, so... That's a really tough one. I would say Glacier National Park is first, and then Yellowstone, although my dad is going to be very upset because he was, he worked in Yellowstone for quite some time. Um, And then I haven't been to the other two, so I feel bad ranking them, but they both sound amazing. It's only one, the Little Bighorn National Park. Oh, oh, oh. Little Big. Little Big, yeah, I have not been there, actually. Unfortunately, that, maybe I should rank that as number one because I should go there next. <laughs> but I think more realistically, I do have very specific plans to go to Glacier with one of my good friends this summer. So we will probably make that happen. Uh, so I would be go in order of the way that I would like to visit Little Bighorn first, Yellowstone, mm-hmm. then Glacier. So tell me about Little Bighorn. Why do you want to go there? It's a battlefield. Mm-hmm. History. Historic. I like history. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. And I think all three of the, well, Glacier's probably what, three hours away from you? Oh, it's really more like five. It is not close. Five. Yeah. Unfortunately. All right. And so for me, it's going to be based on interest. So like Marty, Little Bighorn, um, then Yellowstone. And I've been to Alaska. I've seen glaciers. So I'm sure Glacier National, nothing against it. But uh, so anyway, but those are mine. All right. So this is because of your interest since you were three or four years old to be a entomologist. Is that what it was mm-hmm. called? Yeah. So, all right, here we go. Bees, butterflies, or ladybugs? Oh, yeah. That one's a little bit easier. So bees are definitely number one. I am very sad that I no longer have bees. I did do beekeeping for a little while, but 
had some issues, and then the last time a bear knocked over my uh, hive, I <laughs> kind of gave up on it. <laughs> but anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, so, yeah. Winnie the Pooh took out her hive. Yeah, that's true. Honey comes all over the place in the morning with the bear tracks in the snow. Um, so, yeah, I love bees. They're fantastic. Uh, ladybugs would be number two, and butterflies number three. I think beetles are amazing. The entire order of Coleoptera is fantastic, and they are the biggest order of insects. Very, very cool. I might be using the word order wrong. It has been a long time since I took etymology. Anyway, so grouping, Coleoptera is my favorite grouping of insects. So beetles, including ladybugs, would be part of that. Butterflies are fine, but they aren't super interesting to me. I almost threw in beetle instead of ladybugs. So I should have done beetle. Oh, well. Tony? <laughs> I'm still working through the fact that, oh, dear, look, the beehive's down. Oh, look, there's a 300-pound bear track right here. I can just see how that conversation would go. <laughs> You've been to the mountains here in North Carolina, hadn't you? Have you had bears run up onto the cabin or anything like that? No, and thank goodness. Oh, okay. Yes, I mean, I don't think... I've seen a lot of rattlesnakes up in the mountains when my parents live there, but still not probably the size that Sarah has seen. Oh, rattlesnakes actually are very, um, they only live at certain elevations. And so even though it's dry enough here where I live for rattlesnakes, you have to go about an hour south of where I am, more like 45 minutes for the elevation to get lower and have it be the correct habitat for them. So I can easily go find rattlesnakes if I want to, which is fun. And I do that occasionally. But we don't have them in my backyard. Mm, interesting. So uh, so for me, I would go with, um, based on the types of bushes I have around my house, uh, I have butterflies constantly. And then I see a lot of ladybugs because they're everywhere, but I don't know why. But And then I would go with bees. Mm. So mm. that's my ranking. And I would go with Sarah. I'm, I'm like, bees are super important. So I'm going to put that uh, bees number one, butterflies, because they have that whole metamorphosis thing going on. I don't know what the purpose of a ladybug is. What's the purpose of a ladybug? Oh, they eat aphids. If you have issues with your mm-hmm. your yard and aphids eating things, get a whole bunch of ladybugs and be set. Okay. I, I do have a serious question, though, about this. Is there any useful purpose for a mosquito? Oh, I'm going to argue no. I mean, you can talk about ecological studies and whether or not they're useful food for a lot of other birds and things like that. And my understanding from the information I have gathered on this exact question is that there are enough other things that replace them easily that you don't actually need mosquitoes. But that information might be a little old because we are really quickly destroying so many insects in our environment right now that you might get to a point where you need mosquitoes, which is very sad. The reason why I said that is because uh, my son and so did Tony's daughter got a degree in biology and he was into that stuff. And he said, you do realize that mosquitoes don't even need to exist. I went, what? He said, yeah, from the studies I've read, they said that they can kind of go away and easily be replaced by other stuff. And I went, well, that would be sweet because I hate those things. <laughs> Well, if you do you know about the studies and the research they were doing about creating uh, genetic variants of mosquitoes that do not pass on genetics that aren't able to have actual real offspring, but will still breed mm-hmm. and do all those other things so that the insect population just eventually decreases enough that you don't really have mosquitoes anymore. I have heard of that. Yes. 
that was a terrible explanation of that. But yes, yeah, it's helpful. But isn't mosquitoes one of the biggest causes of death around the world? Oh, they're an incredible vector for infection. Because of the way that their life cycle works, yes, they infect all sorts of things with horrible diseases. Uh, and really the only other insect that does that so badly are ticks, which are also really terrible, but ticks don't fly. And so they don't spread as much disease as mosquitoes do. But yeah, mosquitoes are awful. But wouldn't that be an argument for keeping them around is to help control population? <laughs> oh, Tony, Tony. I suppose, oh my gosh. depending on your your motivation as a super evil genius, you can make yeah, arguments so, for mosquitoes. Yeah. So it's like, well, why is Tony a villain? And why is Tony trying to make all these mosquitoes? Well, his motivation is to try to control the population. All right, Thanos. I mean, that's pretty much what his, his whole deal was. This took a dark turn. It wasn't my fault this time. <laughs> but but it's the circle of life. Disney has taught me there's a circle of life. Uh, they just taught you a song. That's it. I'm still bummed over the. I got to get over the whole bananas thing. Um, Sarah, it has been such a pleasure to have you on. This was only supposed to go an hour, but then all of a sudden we're talking about bugs and Sorry. bananas. And uh, so, thank you for hanging in there with us this this entire time. Oh, this is a blast! I would do this all the time. This is very exciting, <laughs> and hopefully, we can do it in person next time. I mean, who knows when that'll be, but we'll see. That's exactly right. And for uh, for all those who want to keep up with everything that's going on at Renegade, Sarah, how can people contact you? Oh, you should definitely go to RenegadeGames.com, but you can also follow us on Facebook. If you look for Renegade Game Studios, any social media platform, you will find us. And we are always putting out new games. Really, if you have any inkling of wanting to play a game or spend time with your family or do something relaxing, we have something in our catalog that it will be perfect for you. So come check it out. We've got new stuff all the time and we try and build fun communities and we'd love you to be part of it. And I was going to say, if you're ever in Montana in Bozeman, in Bozeman you can come to Brooks Games and more and we will have lots of fun stuff there for you. Before we let you go, I got to ask in order to have a publisher on stuff. Is there any little teases you can give us for 2021? Any little bit of nugget that you want to drop out there? It's like, hey, you might want to be keeping an eye out for. Oh, for a redone version of one of your favorite games. Second edition. Ooh. Who, me? Mine, probably, yeah. Who knows? Who knows who I'm talking to? Somebody. Somebody out there. Oh, my gosh. Second edition of Lord of the Rings CCG was just announced. (laughs) (laughs) Adorable. (laughs) I'm just waiting for my Clank Puzzle Board expansion to show up. (laughs) So there you go, everybody. A second edition of one of our favorite games. And now it's like, was it Gravwell? Is it? It wouldn't be Clank this time already. Oh, geez. Okay, that's exciting. All right. And uh, so if you want to make sure to keep up with stuff like that, I'm sure you have a newsletter that people can join uh, on the website to keep up with all everything. Sarah, it's been an it's been amazing talking to you. You have an incredible history going back from. <laughs> studying bugs to working with deadly diseases to owning game stores and now madam vice president <laughs> amazing lady amazing couldn't have 
gotten here without wonderful people like you in this industry. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, both. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, whatever. It's just because we push you along, so you ain't got to talk to me. It's like we got to hire somebody else to take care of these guys <laughs> over here. They're really annoying me. Oh, no. <laughs> Sarah, thanks so much again, and we will be seeing you hopefully sometime in 2021. Sounds wonderful. Enjoy playing games. Thanks for listening, everyone, and a big thank you to Sarah Erickson for joining us on the show. Make sure to come back next episode when we'll be back to talking about board games and other nonsense, and we'll have our wives on to do some reviews with us. Don't forget to join our Discord channel and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Dyson Names. Dyson Names.